0: Well, it's, uh, it's good to see all of you. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor, man. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. And It's a, a beautiful day. You're welcome to anything we have going on, really. Seriously, we'd love to have you. Uh, have, have you ever been kind of in that place where there's something you kind of need to do, and you know it, but you, you, just, you haven't done it, and something's got to convince you of that, you know? Uh, guys, you probably understand this. Like, your wife, if you're married, your wife wants to go see your family, and you don't really want to do it. You need convincing. And then one day she's working on taking out the life insurance policy on you, and all of a sudden you're convinced. Hey, honey, let's go see your family. You know, there are things sometimes we've got to be convinced of, and so keep that in mind. Because uh, in the first message today, we're in a message, a series of messages entitled I "Saw Him Alive." People saw Jesus alive, and seeing Jesus alive convinced these people there were things they needed to do. Uh, the very first message from last week, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. You saw it. A whole bunch of people saw Jesus. I mean, a whole bunch of people saw Jesus, and three of those people that were mentioned are Peter, and James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul. And so, over the next three weeks, then we're going to look at those three guys. Now, Peter and Paul are interesting because in the book of Acts, if you read, you know, it doesn't take much to realize that the book of Acts centers around two people not named Jesus. It's Peter and Paul. I mean, they're, they're the dominant figures there. There are two other guys that are involved that are kind of minor to some degree in, in terms of acts. They're important and other things. But John, who is the brother of James, the apostle, those two guys, John is connected with Peter. And then James, the brother of Jesus, uh, in chapter 15 and chapter 21, he's kind of the head of the church of Jerusalem, the pastor. Uh, those are involved. But really, it's about Peter and, and Paul. And Peter dominates the first part. And it's interesting to see, you know, what is it that happened in Peter's life. What what occurred, basically, to move Peter that way, to take that leadership role? And so what we're going to do today is look at Peter, who was the leader of the pack. You know, he, the, the pack of the apostles, those guys, he, he was the leader. He was the man. And uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 34 through 30, 45. We'll come to that passage in a little bit. But first, I want to ask a question about Peter. And it's, it's an important question, I think, for this message. And, and just to look at Peter. What happened to Peter that convinced him that he should take leadership in sharing the gospel of Jesus. What is it that happened in Peter's life that convinced him to move from what we see in the gospels of Peter to what we see in Acts, that he's taking, taking the leadership? And so we're going to look, you know, in just a minute, uh, we're going to talk about the fact, though, that Peter saw Jesus, and we want to look at the impact of seeing Jesus on Peter. So I'm going to give you some background before I get to the passage. Um, Jesus, early in his ministry, called some guys to follow him. Peter was one of them. You see it in you know, the Gospel of Mark, first chapter. Most likely Mark got his information from Peter, and so Peter would have you know, wrote, had him write about certain things. And so we see that Jesus came to Peter, and Andrew and James and John, and he said, "Follow me. To be, a follow- to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Christians follow Christ. It's, it's our life. That's the early church people were called followers of Jesus, followers of the way. We're followers. And, and Jesus, you know, called these guys, and Peter kind of starts to kind of take the lead. You know, when you look at the gospel messages, you know, three guys kind of come to the forefront, Peter, James, and John. James and John, uh, brothers, were cousins of Jesus. Peter, James, and John, and, and uh, Andrew were in fishing together. And Andrew kind of is a little bit prominent, but really it's Peter, James, and John. And Peter just kind of comes to the forefront in discussions. And then, on the night that Jesus was betrayed for his crucifixion, Peter does this just Crazy thing. He denies knowing Jesus at all. He's probably the closest of all the apostles to Jesus. And he denies Jesus three times. And in three times of denying Jesus, here's what you know. Peter loses all credibility. There's no way anyone will ever really believe anything about Peter in terms of Jesus because he denies knowing Jesus and just completely loses credibility. Jesus is crucified, and on the third day, God raises him back to life. And then the women, led by Mary Magdalene, go to see the tomb because they want to they anoint the body of Jesus and prep his body for the, his death more, and the tomb's entry, And they go, the disciples, and Peter and, and John come and see the tomb is empty. And then Jesus starts making appearances. The first will be to, to Mary, but he starts to make appearances. And, and we know from last week in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, in fact, Jesus appears to Peter at least six times, either as Peter as an individual or with a group of people. In Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 34, we are, we are told that, that the, the Jesus is alive, the Lord is alive, and he appeared to Peter. So Peter saw him on that resurrection day at least one time by himself. Then we know that Peter, with, uh, with the group of the apostles, with, with all the other guys except, except Thomas, who wasn't there on this occasion... saw saw him as a group on the night of Resurrection Sunday. They they saw Jesus together. That's the second time. A week later, he appeared to these same guys. Thomas was with them. So that's the third appearance that he has with Jesus uh, with Peter. Then in Matthew 28, at Galilee, when he gives the Great Commission, go and make disciples, he appears to them as well. So that's the fourth appearance. In John chapter 21, they're also at Galilee. In John 21, uh, the, the guys are fishing, and Jesus is on the shore cooking breakfast, and they come to shore, and there's Jesus. That's the fifth time Peter sees Jesus, but here's the thing. At that time, Jesus restores Peter to a position of leadership. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. So three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. He asked him that three times. And after every time he says, then you go take care of my sheep, take care of my people. He's putting Peter back where Peter should be in his position of leadership. Then the sixth time that we know of that Peter sees Jesus is in Acts chapter 1 before his ascension. He sees him there and in Acts chapter 1. We come to verse 8, and verse 8 kind of lays out the the blueprint of what's going to happen in the book of Acts. It's like a table of contents. In Acts 1-8, Jesus says, the power of the Holy Spirit is coming upon you guys. Peter and the other apostles, probably a few other people, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to have power. And with that power, you will be my witnesses. You will witness. The word witness is to testify. It comes from the word, we get our term martyr from it. You'll start in Jerusalem. Then you will go in Judea and Samaria, and then to the rest of the world. And if you read the book of Acts, this is what happens. This is an amazing thing. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit comes upon 120 believers. And they start sharing. And Peter comes to the forefront. Because Peter, at the temple on the porch of Solomon, he begins to preach. And this is the message that Peter has, basically. Jesus Christ, you crucified him. God raised him from the dead. I mean, he takes the lead and preaching, and that's his message. And then you begin to see in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says the same thing. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. Chapter 4, in front of the Jewish leaders who actually did crucify Jesus, he says, you crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And when he preaches this message, people began coming to Jesus by the thousands. And Peter's in the lead on this. When you come to Acts chapter 7, Christianity is focused among the Jews, primarily in Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judea. Stephen, who was an earlier follower of Jesus, gets martyred. He gets killed by the Jews. When that happens, we are told in Acts 8, the people begin to scatter. There was a young man there who gave approval of of Stephen's uh, uh, martyrdom named Saul of Tarsus. We'll, We'll see Saul later in life. But that happens. So in chapter 8... Philip, who's also an early believer, is kind of leaving out in the air, and he's out, and he encounters an Ethiopian official. Now, the Ethiopian is a Gentile, but he is what's called a God-fearer. God-fearers were Gentiles who believed in the God of Israel and followed him as best they could. They worshipped him and him alone, but they could never participate fully in the Jewish religious system. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. They were always excluded. They couldn't participate in the sacrifices. There were things they couldn't do. They couldn't go to a Jewish person's house. The Jews wouldn't come into their house because they were unclean. So they believed, but there was a limit. This guy became a follower of Jesus. He is probably the first Gentile, at least that we know him, became a believer. Also in chapter 8, the movement of Christ begins to go to the area of Samaria. And when it gets there, they go check it out from Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the Samaritans. So that happens. Then in chapter 9, Paul is converted. The guy persecuting Christians. We're going to see his story in a couple of weeks. He's converted. Then we come to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is critical to the story of the early church. Chapter 10 focuses on two people. Peter and a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is also a God-fearer. He is the head of a group of 100 soldiers. He's a centurion of the Roman cohort. The Roman cohort was a a prominent group of Roman soldiers. He's a God-fearer. The Jews say he's a great guy. I mean, they love him, he loves them, but he's still an outsider. He has a vision to send someone to go get Simon Peter who's staying in Joppa. So he sends some guys on his way. When they're on their way, Peter also has a vision. It's about noon, it's kind of warm, he's up on the roof, he's hungry, and he falls asleep, and he dreams about food. I've been there, man. I've been hungry and falling asleep, I'm dreaming about food. Right now I'm hungry and my mind's wandering about steak and stuff like that. But in this dream, there was this this sheet, this, this tarp laid down with all these animals on it that Jews weren't allowed to eat. And God says, the Lord says, really, the Lord says, you can eat of these, Peter. And he says, no, Lord, I wouldn't eat anything unclean. And the Lord says, don't say what's clean. What I call it clean, don't say it's unclean. And so in a a smaller sense, this kind of deals with the dietary food laws that are wiped out. And that's good for us because now we can, with a clear conscience, eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. (laughs) That's what that means. And fried catfish. Because those are unclean things. So that's right up my alley. That's a good deal. For now, I'm really hungry. So here's the thing. But beyond that, what's really important is no longer is Peter to consider Gentiles, people from other ethnic groups, unclean. That's important, because when the dream is over, the folks that came from Cornelius arrive. They tell Peter what happened, and he agrees to go see them. And the next day, he takes off. And they go with a group of Christians who were Jewish. Jewish Christians go with Peter. And they go to the home of Cornelius where all these Gentiles are at. And an amazing thing happens. Peter, who is a Jew, he's a follower of Christ. But remember, Christianity is still connected to Judaism at this point. He goes into the home of this unclean Gentile. And this is unheard of. In fact, this is so important. I'm going to skip to chapter 11. Chapter 11, he goes back to Jerusalem to tell them of the Gentiles being converted. And he tells the people at Jerusalem, the, the, the circumcised believers, the Jews... What have you done? They are shocked. They're upset. You went The first thing, you went into the home of a Gentile? They couldn't believe it. He said, no, 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 no. And he tells them what happened, and then they become amazed, and they rejoice and praise God. Towards the end, the end of chapter 11, this happens. People go to Antioch, and they help Gentiles become followers of Christ in the city of Antioch. When the church in Jerusalem hears this, They send Barnabas to check it out. When Barnabas gets there, he sees it happen. happen, He goes and gets a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul, goes to Antioch with Barnabas. And from that point, Barnabas and Paul will begin the great evangelistic ministry into the lives of the Gentiles. Before that happens with Barnabas and Paul, First thing that happens is Peter, in chapter 10, goes to Cornelius, and this is critical. It doesn't seem critical to us as Gentiles, but it's critical. He goes into the home of a Gentile. Peter, entering the home of Cornelius, changed the future and the direction of Christianity. From this moment on, Christianity takes a sharp turn to the Gentile world, to the fulfillment of the rest of Acts 1-8. It didn't begin with Paul. It began with Peter. Verse 34 of chapter 10. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I almost certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. God is not showing partiality. In other words, it's not just the Jews who can come to God. But in every nation, that is ethnic, the word ethnic comes from that. It doesn't mean geopolitical entity, it means culture. From every culture, the man who fears him, that worships God, and does what is right is welcome to him. Does what is right means to come to Jesus. Verse 36 says this, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching, that's the word evangelism, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. As you yourselves, Cornelius, as you know from your study of the Old Testament, the thing which took place throughout all Judea, he also knows then the things that happened with the life of, of Jesus. He was familiar with the story of Jesus, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. Right, he's giving some history. It's probably longer than this, probably convincing us. Then in verse 38, he says this. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, And how he, that is Jesus, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. In other words, there's evidence that Jesus was the anointed one. The idea of anointing is the Messiah. He was the Messiah. There's evidence for all this. All those who were oppressed by the devil, he opposed that. These are all signs. By the way, a lot of people don't believe in the devil. That's your choice. I just want you to understand. Jesus believed in the devil and Peter believed in the devil. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but you're on the wrong side of Jesus. Verse 39 says this. This is critical. Now, we are witnesses. Remember, you shall be witnesses. We are witnesses of these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. They crucified him. And verse 40 says this. But God raised him up on the third day. And he granted him that he might become visible. Now, last week... And if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, you know, especially if you struggle with the, with the resurrection of Jesus and the appearances, go listen to that message. Last week we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 3, the gospel. Paul, uh, Paul reminds us of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, the Old Testament. But they call it scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared. He appeared to people, first of all, Cephas. Paul, saying, Peter saying the same thing. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. Remember I told you that was the message of Peter? Go back and read Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And then he became visible. And then verse 41 becomes then really the central focus of our, of our message today. Not to all the people. It didn't become visible to everyone. But to, there's that word again, witnesses. That were chosen beforehand by God. In other words, God decided who got to see Jesus. By the way, in all spiritual matters, God makes the final decision. In fact, God makes the decisions. We get this cocky attitude sometimes as followers of Christ that we get to make a lot of decisions. No, we get to decide whether or not we're going to obey God or not. (laughs) What What is my decision? Am I going to obey God or am I not going to obey God? But when it comes to salvation, when it comes to matters of faith, you know who makes those decisions? God makes those decisions. That's all throughout Scripture. Read it. That is, who did he appear to? Us. Us who ate and drank with him. John chapter 21. He had breakfast with Jesus. And after he rose from the bed. So after he rose from the dead, he appeared to us. We ate and drank with him. I saw him. I had breakfast with him. And those appearances of Jesus to Peter radically changed Peter's thinking and what he did. He always knew stuff, but now he had to do stuff. So here's the thing. Jesus appearing to Peter, positioned Peter. He positioned him. He put him in a place to he impact and influence both Jews and Gentiles in the spreading of the gospel. It wasn't just Jews. The guy who went to begin the movement among the Gentiles was Peter. Why? Because Jesus appeared to him. And notice what he says in verse 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people. He didn't suggest it. He didn't say, you know, Peter, John, Philip, you guys, if you get a chance when you're out there, can you mention me? No, no. He didn't say, look, I know you're going to start a church and you're all going to do a lot of important things. You need to, you know, healing people and you're going to feed people and you're going to create ministries and you're going to get involved in politics and you're getting involved in economics. No, 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 no. He only ordered them to do one thing, preach to the people and solemnly testify, it's the word witness actually again in the Greek, witness testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Now, Cornelius would understand that one I mean, the of whole, the whole things about the Jewish faith is you're going to meet God afterwards. You die. You're going to meet Jesus after you die. He's the one God appointed. Verse 43 says this, of him all the prophets bear witness. Now, the, the term prophets speaks back to all the guys, what we call the Old Testament. They call the scriptures. Even, even Moses was considered a prophet. Moses was considered the great prophet among uh, the, the Jews. And so, and, and him talking to Cornelius, Cornelius was a god He was the guy who believed in the stuff of the Old Testament. So Moses, the guy who wrote Genesis, Exodus, and all that. And by the way, if you don't believe Moses wrote the five, first five books of the Bible, all I can tell you is Jesus believed he did. <laughs> so, once again, if you and Jesus disagree on something, reconsider your Position. I, I know you can get on and hear all these scholars today. I hear them. I read their stuff. I'm thoroughly familiar with all their arguments. Jesus said Moses wrote the Old Testament. You know why you and I as followers of Christ believe the Old Testament? Because Jesus believes in the Old Testament. All the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes, that through his name, anyone and everyone, including all the Gentiles, Who believes in his name, trust him, receives forgiveness of sin, that's saved. Now, all all of the prophets point to that. Jesus, in Luke 24, at the resurrection, he's with two guys on the road to Emmaus. They're a little bit confused. And so, he stops with them, and he opens up the scriptures to them, is what it says. And he points out to them that all of the law and the prophets points to him. Do you realize that Jesus taught that all of the Old Testament scripture, what we call the Old Testament, all points to him? Matthew 5, 17, he says to everybody, I did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I am the fulfillment of everything that's in the Old Testament. I've said this to you a hundred times since I've been here. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament is a book of promise. The New Testament is a book of fulfillment. They all point to Jesus. While he was still speaking, verse 44, while he was still speaking, All these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. They were listening, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. You know what that means? That means they were saved. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's New Testament talk for you just been saved. Because that's the role of the Holy Spirit. How do we know? Because Jesus, in John 14, 15, and 16, tells us that is his role. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and convinces us of our need for righteousness. He is the one who saves us. If you don't believe the Holy Spirit works in your salvation, once again, you are disagreeing with Jesus. you got a problem. He fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And in verse 45 says this, And all the circumcised believers who came, that's the Jewish believers with Peter, were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Acts 1 8 says, When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers at Samaria, Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit comes upon them at the home of a Gentile. Why? Because Peter went into his home because when he saw Jesus, it convinced him to go and it changed his life and Jesus ordered him to preach and then he had a vision that said Gentiles are good to go and that's where Peter went. From this moment forward, going aggressively into the Gentile culture began at this time. It didn't begin with Paul. Paul's the one who did it, but it didn't begin with Paul. It began with the guy who was the leader of the pack, who when he saw Jesus was convinced above all else that he had to share the gospel, eventually convinced that not only would he share it with the Jews, he would share it with anybody and everybody from every culture he came in contact with. It changed at that moment. Jesus teaching Peter prepared Peter for service and leadership. It did. It prepared him. But it was Jesus appearing to Peter that convinced him. Just read the Gospels. He denies even knowing Jesus. And when Jesus is crucified, he's hiding from people. And then he begins to see Jesus not once, not twice, but six times. And after six times of seeing Jesus, and being ordered by Jesus to preach, in Acts chapter 2, Peter becomes the leader of the pack. That was the impact of seeing Jesus upon Peter. It changed the world. So what is the impact of seeing Jesus on us? That's what we have to ask. Now, we're not going to see Jesus in this lifetime. In the next world, I mean, as a follower of Jesus, when I go to be with the Lord, I'll see him. We're not seeing him then. And if people say, you know, I saw Jesus, I had a vision of Jesus, Jesus appeared to me. No, he didn't. He doesn't do that. All the people who basically who start cults all claim to have seen Jesus. So if you think you've seen Jesus, congratulations, you're on your way to starting a cult. He has told us, I'll come back one more time, the second time. I ain't coming back to you in a dream. Now, what probably happens is the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you, because that's what he does. The way that the Lord speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, through the Scriptures. So, you know, here's this book, and the New Testament is in here. That's how Jesus speaks to us today, because that's what he tells us. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit, through your prayers and through your med- you know, you're, you're working through it, through preaching, through whatever, He speaks. But Jesus did appear to a whole bunch of people. And he appeared to Peter and James and Paul. How does that impact us? Well, here's the thing. If you are not a follower of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus should convince you to follow Jesus. It's just that simple. The resurrection of Jesus should do one thing in the life of an unbeliever. Convince you to follow Jesus. Christians follow Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. You follow, you take your life and you say, Lord, I'm renouncing my sin. I'm renouncing a life where I do everything on my own and I'm giving my life to you. And that's possible because of the resurrection. Listen, if you believe that God raised Jesus back up to life, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, why wouldn't you follow Jesus? I've known people, I've met people say, I believe in the resurrection, but they're not followers of Jesus. I'm like, "Why? why? If you know that God raised Jesus from the dead, why wouldn't you follow Jesus? So I encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it should convince you to follow him. Now, here's the other thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus should convince you to share him, share Jesus with other people. In um, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses. And Peter says, he ordered us to preach. It's pretty clear what Christ wants us to do. Now, we know from like, Matthew 22, that's the, in the Tuesday of the week of Christ's crucifixion, when he asked what the greatest commandment was, was going to be, he said, love God, love other people. And it is. When you love God, you know what you do? You do what God tells you to do. You worship him, yes, but you do what God tells you to do. What does God tell you to do? God in Christ said, go make disciples. So That's what you do. You love other people. If you love other people, what are you going to do? Well, if I love you and you don't know Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share Jesus with you. Because here's the thing. The clearest, the clearest proclamation, the clearest command, the clearest expectation in all of the Gospels, in all the book of Acts, in all the New Testament is that followers of Christ share Christ with other people, period. That's the call of the church. As a pastor, you know, I'm aware of the different, we discuss different churches and I get stuff all the time. Should the church do this? What's the church's priority? And there's a hundred things right now that churches can focus on, but only one of the things that we focus on comes from Jesus. He ordered us to preach the gospel to people. All of you, who are fathers of Jesus know at least one person, don't you? They, 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 right now, they popped into your mind, didn't they? Family member? Yeah. They don't know Jesus. Longtime friend. Someone you go to school with. Someone you work with. Mean old neighbor down the street. Somebody has been brought into your life by God because he wants you to share Jesus with them. So the question is, are you convinced that you need to do it? Are you convinced that's what you need to do? Because here's the thing. Peter, when he saw Jesus, became convinced that's what had to happen. And he went into the home of a Gentile named Cornelius. And At that moment, the world changed. Because at that moment, Christianity took a different direction. All because Jesus convinced Peter what he needed to do. So let me ask you this one question. What has the resurrection of Jesus convinced you to do? What has the resurrection of Jesus convinced you to do? In just a moment, we have our invitation. If you've never trusted Christ... We have an invitation. We have people here if you want to talk to someone or pray with somebody anything. But if you've never trusted Christ, you can come talk to one of us about giving your life to Jesus. But here's the thing. You can give your life to Jesus right where you are. If you are not a follower of Christ and you are convinced the resurrection is true, right now, give your life to Jesus. He's convincing you it needs to be done. Trust Jesus with your life. And if you are a follower of Christ, you know what he's convincing you to do right now? to find that one person this year and share him with that individual and that's what you need to do and you need to make the commitment today lord i know you have you're the resurrected one and i know it and i'm convinced of it so here's that one person you've brought into my life and so lord i promise you i'm gonna go share jesus with them now if you want to come pray with one of us about that person, we'll be happy to help and pray and all that. We'd love to do that. If you're not convinced in the resurrection of Jesus and you're not a follower of Christ, then I just ask us one thing of you. Make this one commitment. Come back next week. Just, that's all I ask you to do. You say, you know, David, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I mean, go, go listen to the sermon last week. But even if you have and say, I'm still not convinced, I just ask, I ask you to make one simple commitment. I'm not asking anything else from you. I'm not asking you to become part of our church. I'm not asking you to give any money. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to give your life to Jesus. I'm just asking you to come back next week. And one more time, hear what the Lord might say to you. I don't know what it is you need to do in your life, but this is what I know. All of us need to leave here convinced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it will change your life. Father, thank you. It is such a simple, simple thing that we see in scriptures. It's just not complicated. Jesus rose from the dead. And a whole bunch of people saw him. And one of those guys that saw him was Peter. And when Peter saw Jesus, he was convinced that he had to go and tell people about him. And the world was changed. Now, Lord, we're not going to change the world. We're not even going to change most people's minds. But if we can go and share Christ with someone, maybe that one person's life will be changed. Lord, those who need to give their life to Jesus, convince them now to trust him as Savior. And those of us who follow you, convince us now because of the resurrection to go to the one who needs Christ. And all this we ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If you want to come and talk to one of us, we'd love to have you. Please stand. We'll be at the front.